We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello there, Perpetual Chess listeners. Before we get to a fun and informative adult improver interview, I wanted to issue a quick announcement. It's a casting call of sorts. Um, So I have a long list of potential adult improver guests, probably more than I could ever get to. But nonetheless, I'd like to collect a few more names. Uh, The reason for that is recently I've done these um, like IM to GM special episode, master to IM, and I plan to do these across the rating spectrum, which means I need a wide array of people that I could potentially interview about cracking a specific rating plateau, or if you'd just like to tell your entire story, I'd be interested to hear you volunteer as well. The main requirements that I'm looking for, of course, that you're passionate about chess, that you fluently speak English, and in order to do the interview, we'd need you to have a microphone or a headset, but we can help you with that if you do not have one. So if you're interested in volunteering yourself or if there's someone you know who you think would be a good guest and they don't need to have outlandish 
adult improvement uh, triumphs. It's more about tackling a specific plateau and you know telling your story in an engaging way. So if you're interested, go to perpetualchesspot.com slash adult and fill out that form. Um, I won't get back to you right away necessarily, but it'll be good for me to have that list as I continue to uh, make new episodes and look for uh, interviews designed to help uh, specific segments of the chess playing population. Uh, so thanks for your interest. Link in the show description. Let's get to the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Adult Improver edition of Perpetual Chess, where we welcome a chess amateur for them to share all of their chess improvement secrets. Uh, on this edition, we are joined by a 31-year-old Alabama-based Twitch streamer and chess instructor. His name is Cody Smith, better known online as CL Smith 15 He's got about 4,000 Twitch uh, followers. He's been grinding hard both in Twitch and in chess. He started serious chess at the age of 24 and has seen a slow and steady climb over the years to elite chess blitz reading of about 2,050 and about 2,150 rapid. He's self-taught using free online resources and has barely ever cracked a chess book, if you guys can believe that. And in recent years, he has tried out over-the-board chess tournaments. So I thought that for anyone thinking of making a similar leap, he will hope Hopefully you have some insights, or for those of us who've been playing them for, for years, he can give us some fresh perspective. So without further ado, let's welcome Cody to the show. Welcome, Cody. Thank you. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, excited to talk to you. So so congrats on the progress you've made. It seems like it's been pretty slow and steady, Cody, but could you walk us through the beginnings? Because I know you messaged me online that you're one of these people, you learned chess as a kid, but didn't take it seriously at all until your early to mid 20s. So what happened then? What got you to actually like start trying to get better? Right, yeah. So I'm I'm sure you've heard this this same story many times where, you know, I learned the rules as a kid but never was ever playing seriously or had a coach or anything or played tournaments or any of that stuff. Um to be honest, I I don't really remember what specifically spurred me to to start playing online. I just remember um, it was my, my grad school year of college and, um, I just started playing online. I don't really remember what, what prompted me to do it. Um, but it's been a very big part of my life ever since then. Um, it's, it's just been all the time chess pretty much. <laughs> and what do you mean by your grad school year of college? So you did a year after college? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I went to the university of Alabama. Um, I, was an undergraduate in, in accounting, and then I ended up doing a, a master's program in accounting at Alabama. Okay. And once your interest was peaked, like, did you discover a website? Did you just go straight to YouTube? Like, what were your first steps into into taking it more seriously? I mean, I, I think I basically jumped right into Lee Chess and, wow. and started playing some games. I, again, I don't remember exactly. Um, in the early days of, of me playing more seriously, I guess, I was on on YouTube a lot. And I attribute a lot of my, my early learning, um, to that. Like I was specifically watching, um, Simon Williams channel a lot, uh, John Bartholomew's channel a lot, um, um, chess network a lot. And then I became a really big fan of, of Ben Feingold and, and still am, um, constantly watching Ben's Ben stuff. Um, so it was, it was a little bit of both. I mean, I, I think I, I started playing and, you know, I, I'm sort of a naturally curious person and want to learn more about something. And, uh, 
you know, went to YouTube and, and just found a, a wealth of information there and, and kind of just took it from there. Yeah. I mean, you shouted out some great content creators, obviously you, you had good mm-hmm. taste right from the jump, but, <laughs> but obviously the struggle that a lot of people have is it's just totally overwhelming how much stuff there is. And I feel like now it might be slightly easier because I don't know, like someone like Levy has blown up and his, his content is maybe a bit more like explicitly beginner oriented. Whereas, I mean, I love the content of all the people you named. And I know that chess network in particular has like his beginner to master series, which is quite good. But, um, but people like uh, John Bartholomew and Simon Williams, like it's intermediate level often at, at the, you know, at the easiest. So do you, do you have any memories of like what you started watching from them and how you were able to navigate it, Cody? I I do remember that, um, like John Bartholomew has a a great series that's climbing the rating ladder. Right. And I think that was like the first sort of intro level series that I watched. And, And just to explain, it's, um, a series where he basically starts, playing people at, at lower ratings and he's talking about what, what they're doing wrong, what they need to improve. Um, and just sort of showing like, how do you win at the, you know, whatever it is, is it a 1200 level or a, a 1500 level or, or, or whatever. Um, so he kind of starts from the bottom and, and works his way up and is playing stronger and stronger players. And I, I found that to be really instructive. Um, I want to say he was one of the first people to do that, but I, I could be wrong about that. I know now, um, like Daniel Naroditsky does does a very similar series, which I still um, am, am watching those videos all the time. Yeah, um, that... I think he calls it he calls it the chess speed run. So he's like starting with a, a fresh account on chess.com and trying to get his rating up as quickly as well, maybe not as quickly as possible. But, um, you know, he's building up little by little in the same kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And we should mention John Bartholomew also has a playlist called chess fundamentals, uh, that, that I often recommend for, for newer players. Um, so how did this like go interface with your playing? Because, um, you know, they're, they're talking about so many different ideas that some of it may not seem that specific. So like, how much were you playing and how much were you watching and how did you, how did you feel like you were able to sort of merge the two, especially in the early days before you really sort of knew the lay of the land? Yeah. I mean, I I think it was just about sort of balance. I mean, I can remember, you know, I would, you know, maybe watch a video that was on a a certain topic, you know, whatever it may be about, um, you know, opening principles or just for example, and then, you know, watch a video, play a few games online and, and try to just apply those concepts in, in those games. Um, I, I was definitely big on, on playing slower games early on. Um, like I was actually, I was looking back at my, my Lee chess history and I saw that I, I never played a blitz game until I was, I'd been playing for about six months before I ever played a blitz game. Good. Um, yeah. it, was, it was more like a year before I ever even played a bullet game. And even then, I barely played bullet. That's good. You so that made it a little easier for me, I think. Sorry, <laughs> you got to stay off the bullet crack. You know? <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that made it a little easier to try to like, you know, it gives you more time during the game to, you know, sort of recall those things that that you know the people on YouTube were saying about chess. Um, and try to integrate those things into your, into your thought process. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I'm espousing all the time and certainly not the only, you know, 
chess trainer that says like, you know, blitz can be counterproductive, especially as you're, you're getting started. So was that something you picked up from one of the streams or did you just kind of figure that out on your own when you tried to play blitz? I mean, I think it's both. I, I don't remember a, a specific instance of a YouTuber or someone saying like, Hey, you really shouldn't play blitz early on. But you know, I think as a newer player, there's also just a little bit of like fear about playing real people online. And you don't, you don't want to come across as like, you know, someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, you want to put. Your- um, and and there's just more risk of that when you're playing a faster game. So I think it was just it sort of meshed with my personality. Like I don't I I sort of liked having more time to to think things through. And I mean, even that has lasted till this day. Like anyone who's watched my stream will will tell you that I still play slow games all the time, and I'm always in horrendous time trouble. Uh, still, so that's that's sort of been a a common thing. Yeah, you the the reason the way I found out about you Cody as you know is um one of your Twitch fans Scott Plecta sent me an email talking about how you you really went hard on the rapid games and analyzed them and also talked about like your compelling presentations presentation style and the fact that uh you're you know, basically self-taught. So bringing it back to the blitz conversation, one other point I just wanted to highlight is uh we're not saying blitz isn't fun. So if you're playing for fun, like by all means, go for it. Like, uh, I, I just want to be clear that it, I love playing blitz and lots of people do. It's mainly just, if you're really trying to optimize every minute, then you're rated say below 1700, then blitz might not be the best use of your time. But I mean, chess is a hobby at the end of the day. So if you just want to do what brings you joy, that's uh totally, um, totally commendable and admirable even anyway cody when you were playing rapid games in the early days probably the the game review algorithms weren't as strong but like did you figure out early on that you need to review your games in order to uh work to improve yeah definitely um that was something that i think almost every any youtube channel you watch will tell you that that analyzing your games goes a long way and you know that's still something that i suggest to any any students or anyone who asks me, um, you know, I, I find that the best way to, to learn and, and to improve is to look at your own games because you've kind of, you've already invested, you know, so much thought into, into each position or into the game as a whole. So when you're going back through the game, you can kind of think to yourself like, oh, well, in this position, I was thinking about this, um, you know, and play that out with the engine maybe. and you know, you try to figure out like, well, I really should have been thinking about this. Like this was more important or, um, you know, I was thinking about this variation and I thought it didn't work, but I missed, you know, X, Y, and Z that makes it okay. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's definitely very important. Um, and it's, it's great now because whatever platform you play on, if it's Lee chess or chess.com, you know, in a lot of cases, they just have a button that yeah. <laughs> that analyzes the whole game for you and sort of points out moments where uh, things things sort of shifted and makes it really easy to to hone in on those moments. Yeah, it's an incredible resource. I mean, people when I was a kid would be arguing about positions for hours. You know, yeah, <laughs> like you know, you could still do it, but it'd be kind of silly because you could just like you can just look up the answer. So right, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's still important to to. You, like I think of it as like translating what the engine's saying into like a more human terms because obviously sometimes the engine will just spout out some line or you know the evaluation 
um, we'll spout out some line that maybe isn't really practical for for you or any other human to to find. So you do kind of have to interpret it a little bit. I I feel like, but yeah, um, and I think you know, it's still an invaluable resource. Yeah, and I think it's especially challenging when you're newer to chess, and probably was more challenging again six years ago when when you were just getting your feet wet as compared to now. Um, and you never had a had a coach, right, Cody? Right. I've I've never had a coach. It's something that I still think about, you know, fairly regularly. I think about maybe it's time, like maybe I should, uh, should, you know, take a few lessons every month or something like that. Um, but I haven't, haven't bitten the bullet yet. Um, you know, I feel like I'm still, still kind of able to improve on my own and I'm sure I could improve much more quickly if I, if I had a coach. Um, but I haven't, haven't taken the leap. Yeah. I mean, finances are always a consideration, but, but yeah, I, definitely. I had never had a coach until like the past year and a half. And yeah, the, the, oh, R- okay. the ROI is, I mean, I had had coaches in like a team context, you know, and I had had mentors, but never just like one-on-one lessons, you know? And uh, yeah, it, I mean, there's a lot of great coaches out there. I definitely recommend it for people who can, who can make it work, but, but I mean, it makes what you've done all the more impressive. So getting back to the engine work, I mean, I think it's very common when, um, when you're newer to chess, they're like, okay, it's nice that you're instantly graded by this engine. And if you miss a tactic that can be fairly understandable, but otherwise it can be quite hard to understand, like even evaluation differences of like a point or, or more on some moves. Um, so how, how were you getting really hung up on that or were you just kind of like reviewing your games and trying to, um, you know, pick up what you can? Uh, yeah, I think kind of the latter, um, you know, it, it, you know, it's just a matter of judgment, I think, when to kind of throw out what the engine's saying and, and you know, say that, oh, I can't really like follow this or I can't, <laughs> I can't attempt to emulate this kind of play. Um, so, yeah, I think I sort of have always just tried to get what I can out of the engine. And, you know, if, if you're not able to get something out of a certain position, then, you know, that's okay. Just try to get, you know, get some insight from some other position in the game, yeah. I guess. Um, and, you know, one thing that's really tempting is when you play a, a poor game or even a game where maybe like you felt like you were doing well, but then you made some silly mistakes and end up losing or drawing or whatever. Um, Sometimes it's tempting to just kind of like, ah, I don't want to think about oh, that. Oh, for sure. Or, yeah. You know, I don't. You know, I understand why I lost that game, so I don't need to to look at the engine evaluation. But even in those cases, I mean, it still can be useful to go back and because you know, I mean, especially for someone like me and anyone else who's an adult improver, like we're making we're making plenty of mistakes every game. So there's going to be more than one moment that that you can try to learn from. You know, in ninety nine percent or more of, of your games yeah um, you you've got so to... even just going back to like the opening and seeing like okay well where did i you know where did i kind of deviate in the i guess this is straying from the engine more towards opening database but um you know just trying to figure out where things sort of first tipped you know to one side or the other um and why can still be pretty useful yeah and just just to follow up on what you were saying a minute ago, like you've you've got to learn to love your losses, and often that feeling, that game that you want to bury, 
you know, and pretend it didn't happen. Like that's the one you can learn the most from. And right, and yeah, definitely. Even if it feels like you might, it might be, you know, speaking from experience here, it might be because like you made some like bonehead blunder, you know. So you might tell yourself like, well, I just made a bonehead blunder. Like I, you know, I I don't need to go over that but you need to go deeper. Like, why did you make the bonehead blunder? Were you tired? Did you forget to calculate? You know, did you get distracted? Like, you you know, you need to try to identify uh, what the cause was of the mistake. And like, it's really from that sort of uh, penetrating um, self-flagellation that, right. that you can get the, the true insights you need um, to to improve. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it sort of reminds me of uh, the, the Fisher quote that, tactics flow from a superior position. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's one thing that I'm thinking about a lot or that I say to students a lot, <laughs> um, you know, because your, your blunder might be something, you know, it could be a very deep blunder. You know, it might be that it's, you know, a long combination where you come out behind material. It might not be practical for you to say, well, I, you know, I just got to like calculate and not and see that that's going to happen. But that's not always practical. It, Sometimes it's more practical to just say like, well, if I hadn't have had played sort of poor positionally earlier, then maybe I wouldn't have gotten into this predicament where suddenly I have to have some deep calculation to, to justify my moves. Right. Yeah. And we had a uh, Patreon mailbag question from Alex Friedman, which you've mostly already answered. He asked, did you use, do you use the engine when analyzing your own games? And uh, thanks to Alex for supporting the podcast. But I'd like to pivot off that because I'm just curious, Cody, do you, are there any times you do not use the engine? You know, like some people advocate first review the game without an engine and then then look at it with an engine. Like, are you of that school of thought or do you just boom, go, go to game review once the game's over? It, it can kind of depend. I mean, it, it, it probably depends a little bit on my uh, <laughs> my mood after the game. Like if I'm angry about a game, then I, I might just jump straight to the engine and, you know, try to get through it as quickly as possible. Um Whenever I'm reviewing an OTB game that I played now, I I tend to not jump to the engine uh, right away. I try to work through it on my own, and I, I review all my OTB games um, on my on my Twitch stream. Um, so I kind of go through it with viewers, and we'll we'll sort of talk back and forth about you know what happened or what could have happened, and then sort of at the end we'll we'll bring in the engine to make sure that we didn't miss anything. Um, Aside from that, if I'm playing Blitz on the internet just sort of casually, I may or may not <laughs> review my game even at all. Um, but generally, if I'm going to review a game, I I would say most of the time I'm I'm using the engine right away and and j- just to sort of speed up the process of finding those those critical moments. But like you said earlier, you know, even if the engine's pointing out, hey, this is the moment where things started to go badly. You know, I try to backtrack and figure out, you know, well, what could have I, what could I have done differently to not have that happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that's good advice. And of course, I want to hear you referenced your your recent OTB forays, and um, I'd I'd like to hear more about those later. But first, Cody, we're gonna take a break and hear from our sponsors. 
Listeners, I've got good news. I know you're looking for an update on my AIM Chess analytics, and I'm happy to report that I'm now only behind on the clock in Blitz Chess 69% of the time. Huge progress. So if I can keep up that 2% improvement in no time, I'll always be ahead on the clock, and I'll probably win more games because of it. And of course, with AIMChess.com, you can use their algorithm to dissect your own game, look at trends from openings, different phases of the game. Uh, And of course, they give you actionable puzzles based on whatever your strengths and weaknesses are. So go to aimchess.com and check it out. They automatically scrape your games from the major chess playing sites to give you the insights you need to work on your game. So if you go to aimchess.com and decide to subscribe, be sure to use the code PERPETUAL30. Links in the show notes. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And we are back. And Cody, I didn't look at your your history too carefully, but again, from from my uh, analysis of your rating graph, it looked you know fairly slow and steady. Although you, it always looks looks slower and steadier and less tortured in graphical form. But do you remember any sort of plateaus that you found particularly difficult in your journey? From I know I know I saw you said on stream that you were probably about eleven hundred Lee Chess when you started and have worked your way up to. 2000 to 2100 Lee chess, depending on which, which speed we're playing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were definitely a lot of, a lot of plateaus along the way. I, I can't remember where they were numerically. Um, I, I have my graph up right now as it happens, but um, so, I mean, it looks like I, I plateaued around 1400 um, for a while. And, you know, it, I think what's often happened for me is I, I hit a plateau and I'm there for, a little while and then you know something clicks and it's something different every time i guess and then you sort of just move up to the next <laughs> plateau um so sometimes this this will happen happen to me for sure and i've also found you know sometimes if i'm um if i've recently hit a new plateau and then i sort of uh regress a little bit but sometimes that regression is is actually before another sort of big uptick yeah um so I tell people that all the time when people are feeling discouraged about we've had bad results lately. Um, you know, sometimes I think that can mean that, you know, you've learned something new and you're just trying to sort of like integrate that new knowledge into what you already are, are applying during a game. Um, so. Yeah, it's a great point. And in these periods, I mean, I know you said that none of them stuck out as being like particularly agonizing, but were there moments where you got super frustrated and maybe thought about like quitting or at least stopping training or were you pretty dedicated the whole time? I don't think I was ever like super frustrated by it. I mean, as you said earlier, like I, I view chess as, um, you know, it's it's a game first and foremost. So, so you know, I try to I want it to be fun. I don't want it to be something that upsets me, you know, if I'm not able to progress or, or having poor results or, or whatever. So I think I've always sort of had that view of it. Like, um, you know, even if I, even if my rating's not 
improving at any one moment as long as I'm still feel like I'm learning new things and uh, gaining more experience that, you know, I'm sort of content to, to focus on that stuff more than, you know, whatever the number beside my name happens to be at that time. Um, I mean, that's not to say that, that it can't be tilting to, to go on a downward spiral, but I, I feel like I try to have that, that, you know, sort of broader perspective about it. And sometimes it's nice to go back and just look at my graph and, and like you were saying, it has been kind of a slow, steady climb. So that's that can be a little reassuring. Just go back and look and see like, oh, well, you know, five years ago, I was rated nothing. And now, you know, I'm still trending the right direction in the long term. You're like a Zen monk. I love it. <laughs> well, I guess trying to be. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you've mentioned you played you play some other games as well. So again, later on, I, I'd be curious, look, look forward to hearing you compare some of uh some of your other hobbies. Um, but Cody, so what kind of time are we talking about? I mean, I know your, your streams, you're, you're doing many hours when you're streaming. Um, like how many hours a day would you say you've been devoting to not aside from the streaming to, uh, working on your chess? Well, I mean, for right now, um, you know, I, I also am an instructor, so I, I teach mostly kids and, and a few adults. So that, that takes up, um, you know, maybe five or six hours a week right now, I would say, maybe a little more. Um, and then, you know, I, I probably stream uh, 15 or so hours a week, I would guess. So that's already a lot of chess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and outside of that, I probably don't spend much anymore. Like really? I might, yeah, I mean, I, I might go and, and play you know, like a, a Lee chess blitz tournament, you know, for half an hour, an hour every now and then, um, you know, once or twice a week, I might sit down and play some rapid on my own off stream. Um, but other than that, I, I'm not devoting a whole lot just cause I already have so much going on, I guess, I guess I should also mention, you know, I'm, I'm getting into OTB. Um, there's a, a chess club here in, in Birmingham that we meet every week and, and play, uh, casual over the board so there's there's that for a few hours and then i'm also in a, a chess league where we're having month-long tournaments so i have at least one rated otb game every week um so there's there's already a lot of chess <laughs> going on yeah um, rated oh. but maybe maybe more to the point like before i was streaming and and teaching and all this stuff um you know, I would probably play, I would guess, maybe an average of two or three hours a night. And I think that was just because chess was just what I really enjoyed, like more than more than a lot of other things. Um, yeah, you know, I played video games as a kid and I still play video games some, but but chess was, uh, you know, much more enticing to me at a certain point. I yeah. Guess. And you're a young guy in your 20s. I didn't, I think at least, I don't know about now, but didn't have kids, right? Right, right. No kids. So yeah. <laughs> so I, I've been blessed with some free time to devote to chess for sure. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. So this this league you mentioned, it's OTB Live, and you get to play every week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a month long tournament, and we play uh, four rounds and one game a week, and we have like a uh, a Discord server where we um, the pairings are released there, and we sort of communicate with our opponent for that week. You know. When, do, when are you available to meet up? Where do you want to meet up? So 
normally we're meeting each other like at the library or something. And like it's that. a rated so, game. You can do it. Yeah, it's it's USCF rated. That's amazing. Um, I mean, because, yeah, I mean that's been great. Yeah, for me. and um, it, yeah, I, I mean, would recommend it to people who maybe want are interested in OTB, um, but feel like there aren't enough events in their area. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can find other players, you know, I, I think it's. Now, to be fair, I wasn't the one who organized all this, right. <laughs> but but my understanding is it's not that difficult to become uh, a USCF tournament director, and then you can kind of start yeah, uh, hosting your own events like this. It's true. It's it's not difficult. And yeah, the people who run or- events like that are true unsung heroes, so shout out to everyone who does that. Because yeah, I mean, the friction point for so many people is finding a, like they say, okay, you know, you, you convinced me I should play OTB, but how do I do it? And even for me, like I, right. I live in central New Jersey, it's between two city centers. It's an hour from Philly and like an hour and a half from New York. But nonetheless, when you have a, that's like, there's not that, there's nothing like that that I'm aware of in Philly. There actually was when I was a kid, but I don't think there is now. And in New York, it's, it's, it's an hour and a half in theory, but it's New York. So it's really yeah, the chess. The chess league's relatively new for us. I think this is the maybe third or fourth month that we've done it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great. I mean, I've I've loved it. I mean, the one like minor drawback for me is I it makes me a little less inclined to go play in sort of like you know weekend tournaments. <laughs> yeah. Just because I I'm always having OTB games, but I, I I do need to go play in the weekend tournaments too. Yeah, I don't know how big a drawback that is, to be honest. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not. But. Yeah, it depends. I mean, they're they're a different experience for sure. Um, right. I mean, well, since we're on the topic, I mean, so your first tournament was it 2020 or 2021, Cody? 21. Okay. It was in May of of 21. Okay, and what was that experience like? Walk like you walk in the door. How does it feel? Well, I mean, it was exciting because I had been playing chess for, I guess, six years at that point. Um, and I was like, man, finally, I'm playing like, you know, what a lot of people would consider to be like, you know, the most official type of chess that, that there can be. Um, I mean, I would go even even further back to before I walked in the door. I was, you know, a little nervous about it. And I slept like horribly the night before. I think I probably got about four hours of sleep the night before. So it was already kind of a, kind of a struggle. Um, and yeah, I didn't really know what to expect, but, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I won my first game, which was, uh, I guess a nice, nice introduction to OTB tournaments. Um, although I lost my second game. So that, then that was when reality hit, but you know. And how nervous were you when you're sitting down for your first game on like a scale of one to 10? Oh, gosh. I mean, at the beginning of the game, it was, you know, probably a seven or an eight. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think that tournament was probably a, a game 60 delay five time control. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the game's fairly long compared to playing a 15 minute game online. So, you know, once the first few moves uh, were in, it sort of became familiar again. Um, yeah. You know, then it was just chess and it, it all the thinking about this being OTB and, and the rating being sort of more official, that stuff kind of doesn't surface as much in the, in the middle of the game. Um, but I, I was, I was concerned about actually playing in three dimensions and I've, I've heard yeah, other I was people ask talk about, about this yeah. <laughs> uh, just cause I was so used to, to two dimensional games online. So um, a few days before the tournament, I, I did a stream on my Twitch channel where, 
I played rapid games online, but I was mimicking the moves on my physical tournament board. So I was trying to basically calculate and think about the game on my tournament board. Um, and I would only, after I made a move on my 3D board, then I would input it into, into Lee Chess. So that, I think, kind of helped me get used to calculating in three dimensions. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the game itself, I mean, it was it was a bit of a nerve-wracking game because um, uh, I was sort of in control for a lot of the game, but it, it came down to a bit of a time scramble. <laughs> and, and I was, I think, always fine, except for there was one moment where... Um, I sort of missed that he had an opportunity where he could simplify into an end game where it was going to be difficult for me to stop promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily he, he missed that too. And then I actually ended up winning because he, he flagged, he ran out of time. Um, so it was a very tense uh, opening game for me. And also we were like the last game that was ongoing. So, you know, when you're the last game ongoing, sometimes you get a congregation of people right. uh, watching you because they're bored and they need something to do before the next round starts. Well, plus it's, so just, it's heightened. That was, it's like a, a heightened moment, you know, it's just fun right. to watch. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, peace- so that made it even, even more uh, stressful. So to go back to your one to 10 question, I think at the beginning of the game, it was probably a seven. And then during the game for most of the game, it was probably a two or a three, but then towards the end, it probably got back up closer to, to yeah. seven or eight. Yeah, that makes sense. And and would you say that has gone down as you've played more? Because I still get nervous before games. It just goes away more quickly. I, I definitely still get nervous before games and especially before an event. Like I still often do not sleep yeah. well the night before Same. Uh, you know, an event. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely gotten better and, and more familiar. And you know, even even with the nerves or whatever, that would is definitely not enough to discourage anyone from from playing otb i mean overall it's a very worthwhile experience and i had had a ton of fun with it i I really wish i had started playing sooner so what's different about it like to anyone listening who might might be wondering like what 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 surprised you the most i think what surprised me the most is that like the players are just very resilient, I think, over the board. Yeah. Um, because, you know, everyone that you're playing is someone who has, m- at some point in their life, made a conscious decision that they want to pay money to the U.S. Chess Federation to have a membership and they want to pay entry fees to go play in these tournaments. They want to devote their Saturday to playing chess all day. So, you know, these people, they want to win the game. <laughs> and even if you find yourself in an advantageous position, they're often going to fight very, you know, tooth and nail to try to scrape out a draw or to try to swindle you or, or whatever it is. And I feel like that sort of intensity you don't get in the average online game because it's so easy to just turn the page on an online game. You know, you didn't really invest as much <laughs> into that online game. Um, so sometimes if you're winning online, your opponents aren't going to, um, play as as resiliently as they do over the board. Um, so it, it's just it's just a different feeling. It it just feels much more intense. Is the one word yeah. uh, I would probably use. But it's it's like a satisfying intensity. 
Yeah, well, that that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, it's a very um, apt description. I would say I couldn't couldn't agree more. But some people might look at that um, as a feature of OTB tournaments: the heightened intensity, the increased nerves. But others might look at it as a bug. They just be like, you know what? I don't I don't need this. You know, I you know I have a job, I have yeah, a family. Yeah. Like, what do I need this right. stress for on the weekends? So, but for but for you, it's it's worth like the juice is worth the squeeze. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But, you know, I mean, I recognize everyone's different. So, you know, for some people, maybe, maybe it, it is, you know, they don't want to deal with that. Um, but, you know, I think people should try it yeah, <laughs> and, and see how they feel about it. Um, but, you know, like we were saying earlier, chess is a game and it should be fun first and foremost. So if OTB is, is not fun for you, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with with just being an online player, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. And and yeah, I've said it before on this podcast, but my main advice is always just pe- people should try it. It's a unique experience. If you if you love chess, like you want right. to ex- experience the whole spectrum and, you know, it's entirely possible that you'll decide there are, are better uses of your time. Yeah. Um, but but you don't know until you've tried. Yeah. And also as, as like an online player, um, you know, before I played OTB, and, you know, I, I live in Alabama, which is not necessarily a big, you know, chess community. Um, <laughs> so, you know, most of my my friends and family in, in real life, you know, they don't really, they're not into chess at the level that, you know, tournament players are. So it, it's also been really nice to get to meet some people who are, you know, have, you know, a shared passion um, about chess, you know, as me. So um, that, that's a little bit harder to get online, although uh, Twitch has made that a little easier, Twitch and YouTube. Um, but, you know, it's it's been great to, to make some friends that are that are really into chess and that can can sort of help you out and that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And getting to play 50 rated games a year in, in Alabama, like without traveling, that's like a cheat code. <laughs> you gotta gotta take yeah, advantage I'm, of that. That's I'm that's very great. thankful for that. I <laughs> I have to, have to thank my friend for for organizing the chess league. <laughs> yeah, I know he's a big fan of your podcast. So, oh, cool. What's 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 his name? Christian. Christian. Thank Shout you. out to Christian. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for for organizing the tournaments. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, we want to bring it back to your your Twitch streaming, Cody. But first, we're going to take one more break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Our friends at Chessable keep dropping new courses. Some of their latest include Play the Open Sicilian One by Grandmaster Miguel Santos. It's got 15 trainable lines that you can use to play against the Open Sicilian kind of one-stop shopping for an opening that can be overwhelming to learn. And friend of the pod, Simon Williams, is out with The Harry Attack, fighting kingside Fianchettos after 1d4, along with I am Richard Palliser. And they've got tons of new stuff coming from Grandmaster Hans Neiman, Linear Dominguez, and the list goes on. And all of their courses, of course, utilize space repetition to help you remember the opening or tactical sequence or end game that you learn. So be sure to go to chessable.com and take a look at what is new. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
And we are back and we, we want to bring it back to your Twitch streaming, Cody, although I did love those insights about the experience of playing a tournament. So thank, thank you for that. Um, now, the question with Twitch streaming is, I mean, you've got the unique perspective in that you're a streamer yourself and you've built a decent sized audience, but you're also a consumer. You know, I went to check out your chess.com history and your the most recent game when I looked was against Ben Feingold. I was thinking, <laughs> well, that probably yeah. wasn't just like in the rating pool, you playing Ben Feingold. There was definitely not. <laughs> pro- probably a stream involved there. So yeah. anyway, on that note, I wanted to um to dive into one of our Patreon mailbag questions questions, excuse me, for listeners who don't know. Uh people who support the Perpetual Chess via Patreon for as little as a few dollars a month can send in questions to adult improvers like Cody or to grandmasters like Ben Feingold. So anyway, Robert Wall wrote in to ask you, uh, he asked the following, which is, what is your approach to learning from streams and videos? Do you just passively, passively, excuse me, absorb the content as it comes out? Um, Do you plan and pursue specific themes or content? Do you catch a video and then immediately try to work it over the virtual board? And obviously, since you said you're not watching as much lately, you could apply this to when you were uh, working the hardest. Yeah, I mean, I, it kind of differs from Twitch to YouTube, I guess, because, you know, Twitch is, is live. So it's kind of like, I'm not planning my day around like, oh, my favorite streamer is, is streaming at such and such time. So I'm going to go watch that. Um, occasionally I will, if I know someone's doing something that I'm very interested in. Um, so, you know, the, the Twitch is maybe a little more passive, like, okay, let's see who's on. Um, you know, let's see what I can, can take from it. Um, but the, the YouTube's a little more intentional. Um, you know, especially when I was first starting out, you know, just looking for, um, you know, th- there's so many great channels that I think, everyone basically just should try to find someone that resonates with them. And it's not that it has to be the same person that resonates with other people. Um, I mean, there's just so much out there. So you can find someone that, you know, you like their style or you find them really instructive or you find them really funny or entertaining or whatever it is. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think it just, it varies from person to person. Um, And in terms of, uh, paying attention do you like i i've mentioned on the pod before i mean many times i i'm when i was a student at school i was a daydreamer you know i would constantly right. like like suddenly be the, thinking to myself what was the teacher talking about for the last five minutes and this the same thing happens to me when i start to when i try to watch chess videos whereas if i read a book it's harder for me to keep reading if i'm not actually thinking about what i'm reading although it does happen sometimes um so do you have that issue like do you have mechanisms in place to make sure that you're focused or is it you for you kind of natural to watch a video and absorb it or maybe you're just watching and you know you get what you get what you get from it and whatever yeah I mean I think when I was first starting out it was just I was so eager to try to learn as much as I could that it it sort of came naturally for me to Mm -hmm. to focus on it um I mean to be honest now like if I'm watching a Twitch stream, it's pretty likely that I'm also doing something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not like I'm, I'm really like nose to the grindstone trying to take in as much as I can. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And this is kind of 
only tangentially related, but in terms of what Robert was getting at in terms of specific themes, it made me think about openings because we didn't discuss your approach to openings. And uh, I, I do think I saw you mention somewhere that they're not like a huge point of emphasis for you, but how do you approach that? Like if you want to learn about an opening, do you search on YouTube? Yeah, YouTube is definitely the first place I go um, when I'm thinking about an opening. Um, but yeah, that's that's right. They're not really a huge, uh, something I'm thinking about too much. Um, so actually, after I started playing OTB, I think I was about 20 or 25 games in. And I, I made a spreadsheet where I looked at each of those games and I tried to identify, you know, points that I lost in those games, whether it was... Uh, you know, I was never ahead in the game, ended up losing. Okay, there's a half point. Or was I winning and then I blew it and I lost or it was a draw, there's a half point or a whole point. And I tried to just identify like what area of the game was causing me to lose the most points. And I think of those 20 games, I only found like a half point that I lost because of because of the opening. Amazing. I just wrote a blog post, which you can find on leechessorchess.com about that very topic. And I had a similar, I had a similar experience, even, you know, uh, I'm yeah. probably like a couple hundred points higher rated than you, but right. like ev- even up to my level and possibly beyond like, um, and, and again, like uh, shout out to strong chess, Todd Bryant. He was, you know, he loves opening. So he was saying, I enjoyed the blog post, but uh, I'm not sure I agree about openings. And, and I want to be clear, like, I'm not, I'm not telling other people what to do. I'm just saying like <laughs> the, the, the uh, what's become a loaded phrase, do your own research. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and totally agreed. Um, but yeah, I basically at that point, I just decided, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think studying openings is like the most efficient way for, for me to try to improve right now. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that, that, you know, hopefully as I keep getting better, that they will become more important. Um, you know, at a certain point, they definitely do. Yeah. And and just to add one more thing, like in terms of tournaments, like in, in Todd and I's conversation on Twitter, like it came up that like I'm measuring things mathematically where like I look at my engine evaluation after 15 moves and then look to see what the result was. But there are sort of soft factors that maybe can't be captured, you know, like maybe you feel more confident if you know the opening, maybe you have more time. Um, so if you're just looking at the valuation, maybe that doesn't come up. And then, of course, there's the uh, always the omnipresent caveat that if you enjoy studying openings, you should you should study openings. You know? Right, right. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with all that. And I, I don't mean to sound like I'm just playing the opening well, so I don't have to try to do it. It's It's just more that like, even if I don't play the opening all that well, you know, I'm still getting playable positions. So even if it's, you know, a, a half point or half pawn, you know, eval that I'm down, I just felt like that's, that's okay. As long as the position's playable, like I'm still going to have my chances in the game at, at this level. Obviously that, that is going to depend uh, on the level quite a bit. But. Yeah. And, and what about, uh, tactics, Cody, or have you been a tactics grinder along the way, like doing lots of puzzles? I definitely do. I mean, I, I always start off my streams with, with some tactics. I like to do the, the puzzle streak feature on, on Lee chess, which is sort of like puzzle rush survival on chess.com where you start with sort of easier puzzles and you work your way up and, and get more difficult ones. Um, so I, I do that frequently. Um, when I'm not streaming, I like to do Puzzle Storm, which is sort of like regular Puzzle Rush, where you're just trying to solve as many puzzles as you can in, in a fixed amount of time. Um, and 
I would say like before I was streaming regularly, I was better about devoting time to just doing just straight up puzzles, like not, not with any of these frills involved. Um, so I, I mean, I, I feel like you can't really escape, you know, doing puzzles if you're trying to, trying to improve. It's just, it's so important. Um, tactics are, are underpinning so much in, in chess in general. So. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. For better or for worse, it's like the the grunt work. It's like the doing your cardio or whatever. Uh, just just has to be done, um, right? And uh, and Cody, I heard you mention um, the the chess dot com puzzle feature, and it's actually time for our sponsored segment, the chess dot bomb. So, Cody, the sponsored segment is for 2022 Adult Improver episodes. We're going to just highlight a few features on chess.com, except there's a twist this time. We're actually going to be talking about chesskid.com, but chesskid.bomb doesn't sound as good. So uh, maybe it's okay. Um, But in any event, Cody, we were messaging about this a little before the interview. And is it true you've been running school programs, teaching all these kids chess, and you've never used ChessKid? That's right. Never used ChessKid. Amazing. Yeah. So I am not doing school programs currently, but I've done many, many over the years and I've been a chess kid user for some, you know, eight years, something like that. So just to mention a few of the features that the kids like, I mean, number one, they, they love the videos. There's tons of cartoons and sound effects. Um, you know, fun master Mike's a crowd pleaser. Jonathan Korbla, who's been on the pod has been there. Alexander Botez has videos. So the kids really enjoy those, but there's also things that like for any teachers listening, you can run clubs and run tournaments where the kids play against each other. Um, even in their downtime, you can check the puzzles that your kids have done. They also have a puzzle rush like feature. And then, of course, there's like an interactive lesson feature where you just climb the ladder and can be self-taught. And I've seen it myself. It's actually a good marker of like interested and talented kids where, you know, I've been when I was doing these school programs, I was buying chess kid memberships um, from chess kid for years. And you can check to see which ones have the love, you know, just like which ones are spending their time just grinding these puzzles and doing the lessons. And some kids would come in and tell me what level they're on. And there's leaderboards where they can get competitive about it. So there's lots of features that we just wanted for, especially for any other coaches or parents who are listening um, to, to, to make you all aware of uh, the features. And we've got good news. You can receive a significant discount on any Chess Kid Gold membership purchase or upgrade by clicking on the link in the show description. And Cody, we've got good news for you, which is that uh, Chess Kid has said that they will give uh, a gold gold member accounts to as, as many students as you want to be good through the rest of the school year. Oh, that, that's awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, I don't know if it'll be on the pod, maybe years down the road, but you can report report back to me. But I mean, again, obviously, this is a sponsored segment, but it was not a sponsored segment when I was buying Chess Kid memberships for <laughs> for, for years. Um, right. So and one other thing I wanted to mention for listeners, um, we're going to do a little contest um, because one other feature that Chess Kid just released is they're they're rolling out new bots similar to Chess.com, where it's based on a chess personality and you can play players at different levels. There's tons of different bots. Uh, Tani Atawuma, the the you know prodigy kid who's been in the news, written about in the New York Times and stuff. They made a bot based on him. They made a bot based on Vishy Anand. Uh, among and obviously no one's going to be Anand, but uh, Fun Master Mike did assure me that. Um, that bot's not quite as strong as Anand, so you at least have a puncher's chance. And here's the contest. So 
the first three listeners who go on Chess Kid um, and play the Vichy Anon bot, if you beat it, draw it, or here's the one that might actually happen, last 40 moves against it, and you email support at chesskid.com with the subject Perpetual Chess, the, the first three people to do that will get a one-year-long premium membership, one as an adult, like to be the overseer, and uh, one for your kid. So if you're interested, all these details will be in the show description so you don't have to write anything down. But just wanted you all to be aware of the features from chesskid.com. And this concludes the chess.bomb. And Cody, we did have one other Twitch-related question for you. And this one is from fellow adult improver and friend of the pod, been on the pod, Dr. Courtney Fry. So shout out to Courtney. Um, and he writes in and asks a unique question that, again, I think you're you're kind of uniquely positioned to answer because you're both a Twitch streamer and a Twitch consumer. Um, and here's his question. He said, I mentioned in the um, Patreon announcement that you're both a Twitch streamer and a fan of players like Feingold and Bartholomew streams. Could you comment on parasocial relationships and quotes on Twitch, by which he means one-sided social bonds between a viewer and a streamer? Is that something you and other streamers are conscious of on a daily basis, or is it an unavoidable side effect of the Twitch medium? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I can't comment for for other streamers. Um, it, it is something that, that I think about because I certainly don't ever want to feel like, or, or be perceived as someone who's sort of, um, intentionally creating that sort of a relationship with someone, um, where it can be sort of one-sided and, and Twitch definitely complicates things because there's, um, you know, there's often money involved with, with supporters, uh, you know, following your stream or whoever it is. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, I just try to make sure that I'm not treating anyone differently based on the amount of financial support that they're providing. I, I want to make sure that, that everyone is, is welcomed in, in my streams and, you know, in anything that I'm, I'm doing on Twitch. Um, and I, I think in the chess world, it seems like pretty much everyone is is sort of having the same kind of uh, viewpoint about it. Um, so I, I think it is definitely something that that we have to be thinking of. Um, but you know, also I, from sort of the Twitch consumer side, for me, um, you know, I've been a big Ben Feingold fan for for a long time, and you know, you could maybe have said that. I was having that sort of parasocial thing going on, but like I've been able to meet Ben Feingold and, and hang out with Ben Feingold, you know, sort of through, through Twitch myself. Um, I mean, maybe that's partly because I'm also a streamer. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've gotten to meet Ben and Karen and, and Spencer over in Atlanta when they were still running the chess club over there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been a joy to meet, meet people like that, that, you know, started as Twitch friends, but have become sort of, sort of real friends. Um, yeah. And, and what do you pick up from someone like Ben in terms of like the way that he interacts with people? Obviously he's, you know, huge Twitch star now. So it seems like he's a good, I mean, <laughs> always an acquired taste, but I'm also a fan of his, of course, and a friend of his, but like, what do you pick up from someone like that? Well, I, I was really impressed with, with Ben and Karen and Spencer that, um, 
you know, there's a saying that's like, you don't want to meet your, your heroes because you yeah. might be disappointed or whatever. But like, I didn't get that from, from Ben and Karen and Spencer at all. Like I, I think they are very, very genuine on their, uh, their streams and YouTube content. Like they, they came across as, as very, you know, pleasant and welcoming people um, in, in real life too. Um, I mean, I was really impressed because, you know, when I'm streaming, I feel like I'm not acting exactly how I would in, in day-to-day life. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of showmanship that gets, gets sort of added, but I think, you know, especially with Ben, I think he's just sort of naturally that way. <laughs> yeah, so he's and, kind of that way in, in real life too. Um, yeah. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't mince words, obviously. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, in no matter what it is he's talking about, but but yeah, that's cool to hear. And and yeah, I mean, Courtney, I was thinking about your question just from like a, a podcast perspective. Um, and um, and yeah, that's just kind of the way the world is now. I mean, there, there's all these like micro clicks, so it's kind of unavoidable. Like the the podcast that I listen to regularly. I, I feel like I know the people even when I don't. Um, so I'm sure it's the, it's the same way with, with Twitch. Um, it's, it's unavoidable, but all you can, all one can try yeah. to do is be as genuine as possible. Right. Yeah. I think it is to some extent unavoidable, but it doesn't have to be, you know, damaging. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and also I guess I should add like, you know, I have some viewers or some longtime viewers of my stream, that have, have also started streaming themselves. And, you know, you could say the same thing about me. Like I'm sort of originally, I was probably best known as being a, a Ben Feingold viewer and a moderator on his channel. And then I sort of have spun off and done my own stream. So, you know, even if, if it sort of feels one-sided at the surface, like it can, it can go the other way where both sides are, are getting, you know, tangible, tangible benefits of it. So you know, anyone who's a longtime viewer of mine, if, if I find out that they're starting to stream, you know, I definitely want to be supportive of them. And to, again, give props to Ben Feingold, I mean, a lot of the um, viewers that I have now are people that probably found me from when when Ben Feingold has, has rated me, which I guess I should explain that. Wow, that you're nonsense. a pro. Yeah, you should. Yeah. I so, mean, it's come so up in before, Twitch, but you might as well, yeah. Right. So on on Twitch, when you, when you end your stream, it's... Uh, customary to to send all your viewers to another channel um and that's called rating in in twitch so not not rating like a chess rating but rating r a i d um so a, a lot of the the followers that i have on twitch initially discovered me because of ben feingold rating me or you know eric rosen has john bartholomew has i mean i've, I've been lucky to have some some big names send their people my way um, so that's sort of one way that, you know, a relationship, I guess, can go from parasocial to a little more, um, give and take. <laughs> yeah. Although also obviously when you're an admin for someone on their Twitch channel, I mean, you're doing them a tremendous service. Oh um, gosh. I mean, I probably have never really <laughs> done much service as a, as a moderator on Ben's stream. <laughs> like I, <laughs> not every much, now not and then moderation. If, someone's, if someone's like obviously out of line, then I'll, you know ban them or, or time them out or something. But I mean, really I'm there as a viewer. <laughs> so cool. And, and I'm sure you get asked this on stream, but uh, what's, what's your stock advice about someone who's thinking about getting into Twitch streaming? Yes or no. And and if yes, what should they do? I mean, I think it's kind of like we were talking about OTB. Like it's one of those things that you kind of might as well try and just see, 
see how you like it. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be for everyone. And, you know, if, if you had asked me before I started doing it, I probably wouldn't have said it's not for me. <laughs> like, I don't really have a, a history of, of being on camera or, you know, it's not like I, I wasn't in theater classes or anything like that. So this was all very new for me. Um, but the unlike OTB chess, you know, the... Um, the sort of startup costs are, are very low. Like th there's not much barrier to entry. You can download the software and, and start, you know, as long as you have a computer that's capable of doing it, um, which is not really that you don't have to have fancy equipment to do it. Um, so I, I would encourage people to, to try it out if they have even, you know, a thought that it might be something they're interested in. Um, Cause you really, you never know where, where it could go. Um, yeah. And even kind of from just like a selfish perspective, like my chest has definitely improved as a result of it because I've had very strong players that will, you know, watch my streams and sort of give me pointers along the way, or, you know, help me analyze the game or, or whatever. Um, now, I, I mean, after the fact, not, not during the game, I have to be careful not to let <laughs> any of that stuff happen during a, a game. But um, so it's, it's been a great benefit to me to, you know, have, have very strong, I mean, titled players even will watch my, my streams and, and sort of help me out. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And I watched enough of your archive to, to be able to tell that you're clearly enjoying yourself, which is, is important. You know, you're not just definitely. like, it's not just like some grind, you know, whether or not you have aspirations, like what your professional aspirations are with it. Like you, you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I view it as something to do for fun and to not really think about, you know, how much money you're making off of it. Um, just because I, I feel like if, I feel like you could drive yourself crazy thinking about, you know, the money aspect, if it's something you're trying to rely on for, for money. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I was playing hours of internet chess today anyway. So it's kind of like, well, why not, why not stream it and see if there's any, any benefit, if I like it, if uh, you know, there's any benefit to it, if I can make some side money doing it, great. And if I can, have some people help me improve, you know, even better. Cool. And it's, it's CL Smith 15, right? I wasn't sure about the 15 when I was reading. Yeah. When yeah I was it's, it's CL Smith 15. That was okay. sort of an accidental, um, not really accidental, but you know, th that was my username before I ever had any aspirations to, to stream. Um, I guess <laughs> if you're getting started now, I would recommend picking a, a name that is maybe a little better, <laughs> a little catchier. Yeah. Yeah. A little catchier and a little less formulaic. Bama chess. <laughs> yeah yeah something like that would be great um, cool and cody last last major topic before we let you go is i did um again scott pleka thanks for thanks for um giving me a tip about cody because he's been a great guest mentioned you're into scrabble go and chogi yeah yeah um so in varying degrees i guess but uh i i dabble in in each of those games um scrabble has been my most recent um game that I'm, I'm playing a fair amount. Like I actually, I played an OTB Scrabble tournament a couple months ago. Okay. So that was quite an interesting experience. So you know all the two letter words and stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm like pretty good on the two letter words. Occasionally mm. I still forget like, is that a word or not? Um, right. But yeah, so that's, that's been a lot of fun. And there's actually a, a really great Scrabble community on Twitch too. Um, if anyone is, is inclined to go, go seek them out. 
Cool. Um, I'm sure but, anyone anyone interested can message you. But but definitely. last top last question on that topic. So out of Scrabble, Go, Shogi, and chess. Now I you know I I read Oliver Reader's book recently and highly recommend it. And then for anyone who didn't hear that that interview where he talks about his book Seven Games, where he talks about these games and chess along with backgammon, poker, and another one that I'm forgetting. Um, you know. It got so anyway, that informed my perspective of the question I'm about to ask you. But the question is, which game is the easiest and hardest to improve in if you were to to rank chess, Scrabble, Go, Shogi? Um, I would say that so Scrabble's kind of the outlier there <laughs> because it's it's much more about word word knowledge and are you good at anagramming and, and that kind of stuff. So um, you know, that, that one, it's hard to compare to the other three just because it's sort of a different skill yeah, set. I would have I pegged that as easiest because some of it is just do, do the work, learn the words, right? Right. I, I would tend to agree that that's probably the easiest to improve at. And my Scrabble friends are going to probably hate me for saying that, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, I, I would say Scrabble is probably the easiest there. Um, and then it's sort of, close to me between chess and shogi for the next easiest i think because if if people aren't familiar with shogi shogi is japanese chess which is actually very similar to uh crazy house chess um which is sort of like one player bug house but the main mechanic is when you capture a piece now it's your piece and you can drop it on the board on your turn and use it as your own piece so shogi is very chess like but you know, the tactics can be much more complicated because there's just a lot more legal moves at any given point because you have to consider the drops. And also in Shogi, all the pieces promote, like even, you know, the bishop promotes, the rook promotes. So there's a lot of like weird sort of things to think about. So Shogi's very, very complicated. Um, and then Go is the hardest? I think Go's the hardest because Go is the most like abstract of of those yeah. four. I mean, the fact that like Peter Hein Nielsen, Grandmaster Peter Hein Nielsen, and uh, I think uh, Matthew Sadler plays, and those guys are geniuses, and they're not elite at it, so it, it must yeah. be it must be hard. It's uh, it's like it's the most frustrating of those four games for me. Like I, I will play it sometimes on stream, and it often ends with me just getting like so tilted that I can't play it anymore. Right, and I think it's just because like I like I'm not great at chess by any means, but like I'm good enough to sort of like understand why things went wrong and and try to learn from it. But in Go, it's just like much harder for me to figure out like what, why doesn't this work? It's just, you know, without getting into a huge discussion about Go, it's just a very, very difficult game uh, to understand, I guess. Okay. Um, All right. And, I mean, it seems like you're, you've got a lot going on between chess and all these games and, and your teaching work. Um, is, there, is there any other major interest we haven't discussed, uh, Cody? I, honestly, right now, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just all in on, on chess. <laughs> um, chess is, is taking up most, most of my days, which has been, been kind of great. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's an inspiring story. Keep up the good work. We look forward to, uh, to continued progress, Cody. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and and we're not saying goodbye just yet because okay. I I want to give a couple shout outs at the end. But um, I did before we do that. Obviously, people should sub to your Twitch channel, follow and sub CL Smith fifteen. Um, is there anywhere else like if people want to send you a message or something that they c- can do so? 
Yeah, yeah. They they can send me a message on Twitter. I'm I'm CL Smith fifteen on on Twitter also. Uh, Great. So I'll I'll link to those. Yeah, and then uh, just as we say our goodbyes. Um, uh, here in 2022, since I don't name check all of the uh, Patreon subs on the recorded part that will come after this, I do want to give a shout out to new subs as I will be doing on every um, every adult improver episode. So the the way it works for anyone who doesn't know is um, anyone. Uh, who donates $5 or more a month gets a shout out here at the end. And some of the other perks are obviously you can submit questions for people like Cody. You can gain access to special events like lectures with, uh, I am Andres Toth and Grandmaster Davran Kolyasevich and many others. You can access the ad free perpetual chess, um, that you can listen to on your podcast app, like Apple or Google podcasts. And I wanted to give a shout out to the following recent subs, Grandmaster Max Illingworth, Azel Chua. I hope I said that right Azel and fred rocher so um sorry to make you sit through that <laughs> cody but but thanks for your time it's been a super fun interview yeah thank you so much it's, it's been a blast thanks to everyone who helps make perpetual chess possible big shout out to my producer matthew passy i'd also like to thank the blue wire podcast network with whom we are proud to be affiliated be sure to follow us on social media beneficial one on twitter at Perpetual Chess on Instagram and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com and of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show going over chess games answering questions stuff like that and you can even get access to ad free perpetual chess if that's your preference so but most of all thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next episode Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.